Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. My name is Steve Sophronis, and I am proud to be the host of Highest Aspirations. This episode is part of our special Look for the Helper series. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood offered some relevant advice for navigating difficult times like these. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. The ELL community is full of helpers, and we are proud to amplify their voices as we face the reality of long-term school closures as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. We are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. We are stronger together. So if you'd like to share your ideas, inspiration, or simply share your voice, our doors are always open. Just go to bit.ly slash ellhelper to learn more. That's bit.ly slash capital E, capital L, capital L, capital H, E-L-P-E-R. You'll find that link in our show notes as well. Daniela Anello, thank you so much for joining us as part of our Look for the Helper series on the Highest Aspirations podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. The second time, and I think the first time was probably like two years ago, right? Oh, I think so. Wow. Time flies. Yeah, I think you're right. It must have been around two years ago. And we talked about family engagement and partnerships with families, right? Right, which we'll actually get into today a little bit under very, very different circumstances. Yes, unfortunately, that's the case. So for those people who maybe didn't hear that episode and are listening now, could you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, Where are you in the world and what is your role? Yes, so I am the head of school of a bilingual public charter school in Washington, D.C., and our school serves children ages pre-K-3 to grade 5, and we do so bilingually. So 50% of the instruction each day is in Spanish, and 50% of the instruction is in English. And our school population is incredibly diverse. We serve kids from all over um, the district, and about 50% speak Spanish as a native language. Um, So it adds for a nice 50-50 model of language acquisition. So the children who are stronger in Spanish, you know, are um, supportive of the children who are learning English in the Spanish class or learning Spanish in the Spanish um, time of the day and vice versa in the English time of the day. So it adds for this very nice community of we're all learners, we're all together on this. We all have goals and we're all at different places in, in reaching those goals. But that kind of creates the atmosphere that we have at our school where everyone's a learner. We're in on this together. We actually have a tagline that's juntos somos líderes. And so for us, being a líder is the is what we expect everyone to be. And this includes all of the students and all of the staff and all of the family members and community and partner partners that come through the door every day. So so for us, it's very important to, to be connected and to be supportive of one another. Um, our values include... Um, their lead values, and that that stands for learning languages, earning respect, acting responsibly, and doing your best. So these values are kind of what we always bring up and talk about as um, as we experience the day each day. Great. And for anybody interested in learning more about that, uh, I will link to the podcast that we did originally in which you talk a lot about the school. And I think you talk a lot about those values um, and a lot about sort of what you do there um, in terms of being mm-hmm. a, a bilingual. 
charter school. So I'm really interested to get your perspective here, both as head of school, um, as a charter school, which we haven't done yet, and as a bilingual school, which we haven't done yet. So your perspective on this little series that we're doing, um, I think is really important. And you mentioned some some really important factors, you know, in your school, um, the idea of being connect, uh, connected and supported um, or supportive um, and your your lead values as well. And, and so I guess starting there, like how is this whole challenge, and you know, we're pretty far into it now compared to some of the other people I've spoken with week five, um, how is it affecting um, the way that you're running your school? What challenges are you finding yourself sort of trying to solve at this point in time? Yeah, so one of the things that makes our school unique is that we are a very community, holistic school, meaning our, our families um, expect us to be able to feed our kids really well because we produce all our food in-house. So we have a one of the second, the, I think the second largest garden in the city and we, we produce a lot of fruits and vegetables and then we, use, we harvest those. Yes, and we cook with them. And so we have this whole culinary arts program that's part of our school. And with that comes eating really healthfully. And the reason I'm bringing up the food is because that's been one of the biggest challenges during this time of school closure where, you know, our kids that were used to feeding like incredibly healthy breakfast, mid-morning snack, uh, huge lunches, mid-afternoon snack, and then even more snacks in the afternoon for kids who stay later. Um, We also have these markets where families come in and take tons of groceries and fruits, vegetables, canned goods home with them um, from our market that we offer at no cost. I think that piece has been really different for us, for our families and also our staff, because we also feed all of our staff on a daily basis. And and that, for example, that had a huge change with school closure. Now it's, you know, everyone is on their own pretty much trying to figure out where to get access to high quality foods and producing those in their houses to keep our, our children um, well fed and well nourished. So that was a huge change. Um, but at the same time, what, uh, the, the thing that's the most important to us is feeling connected as a community. And that includes all of our staff and that includes all of our, with our families. Um, so we created this uh, COVID-19 risk response plan that includes how we will all communicate, how we will all connect, what kind of um, touch points will we have one another as a staff and then as a community with families. And, and we've stuck to it. So, so that includes, you know, I send a massive email to our families every Wednesday reminding them that we're here, we're together. You know, I take their feedback that I receive from calls that we make. We also call all of our families on a weekly basis and anything they mention needing or wanting or wanting to hear more about, um, we, I connect that with um, my weekly messages. We also have a website where we add all the resources that we keep getting, new information, we keep updating, and and we make sure that our families go to that website to see information that they may find relevant to the needs that they have. Um, On the weekly calls- Not to interrupt you, Jana, sorry. I just want to stop you for one second because I think- first of all, that food situation that you all have, and I think you talked a little about in our first podcast is amazing. Um, And hopefully you're finding a way to keep sort of managing that in some way. But what I really want to dive into now, you just talked about, you know, the importance of connective, you're a very connected community, and you want to keep uh, in touch with your families and family engagement has been so important during this whole crisis for everyone. But I know you you had organized a whole school wide family check in system. So you're talking about making sure that uh, you know, families are checking the website and that they're connected. How, can you talk a little bit more about like the specifics of how you're going about doing that? 
Yes, absolutely. So we have our teachers connect with the students and connect with the families on a regular basis around home learning. And that's one, I see it as that's one particular form of connecting teachers with students and their families. And that's, there's a whole plan for that. There's virtual office hours, there's home learning packets, there's um, some direct lessons that are happening. And, and, and that, that is running and that's running primarily led by our teachers. Um, on the other side of this, we have 61 staff members who are non-teachers who are, have been assigned about nine or 10 families. And each of us have, that have been assigned these nine or 10 families have to check in with these families on a weekly basis. And um, I am helping to coordinate what we pay attention to the most each of the weeks that we call. So we have a, a script that we don't want it to sound too formal, but what, but there is a script that some we try structure. to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Some structure. And some consistency. And consistency. Exactly. So, so the primary question, the first call was, you know, do you need any technology support and do you need any food? That was right. the main question we asked at the first call. Then, then it became more honing in on technology. Like in addition to a Chromebook or two, could you use Wi-Fi? Do you need Wi-Fi support? And if so, let's plan that. Let's work through that. Um, you know, week, week three was more around, do you, are you able to receive the emails that we send out? Are you able to access the, the website online? Um, do you have any questions about the way we're, we're sharing communication with you? And if so, let's troubleshoot those right now. Um, week four was a lot about enrollment. We have to do all of the enrollment online. And so now it's a matter of like, can everybody access these enrollment packets or do we need to mail them? Um, do we need to have somebody come to the house and, you know, stand six feet away and ask the questions orally to the family to complete their enrollment paperwork? Um, so things like that. So there have been different areas of focus on each call, but we care that the same people are making the calls to the same families sure. because we create, a, we, we set a relationship there where they can trust us, they can tell us what's going on, and they may want to share more information than, you know, we ask about. So we have a bunch of resources that we have at our um, easily accessible. As we make the calls, we use these trackers where we're writing down what people say, um, whether we have to check in on them again about a particular thing they mention. But if we ever have any reason to believe they have, there's some mental health concerns or mental, mm -hmm. Ill, we, we recognize some signs of mental illness. We have a social worker who is working with us, who we, uh, we flag for her, please check in on this particular family. We have some reason to believe they may need additional supports. Um, so we're trying to cover all of the bases of, you know, having access to all, all, of, all of the types of resources that we may need to guide them to, um, should we notice that they need that on the calls. So I have found that that in particular has been incredibly valuable, incredibly helpful, because there's no one size fits all approach to supporting all of our families. And I think the best way to know what families need is to have those very personal connections with them, consistency, and knowing, you know, if anything they say is, is worrisome, being able to really follow through on, on, on supporting them with that particular thing. Yeah. And you, and I imagine that you must be, you know, it sounds like you had a plan originally of what you wanted to start with, but I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the sort of the purpose of the phone calls or the communication to parents must shift from week to week based on your needs and based on what you're learning from the families, which must be the beauty of this whole thing is that you must be getting a lot of feedback and figuring out exactly what 
different people need, even though it's not a one size fits all situation, you can kind of figure out what's happening. Absolutely. Also at the beginning, when we started doing these um, all hands on deck calls, we wanted to prioritize the families who we thought would need this the most. But that was a poor way to go about it because in a moment of crisis, all of fam, all families equally require checking in on, require having a person to talk to. It's a great point. Everyone is feeling stressed. Everyone. You're, trying, you're, you're attempting if, to do the right thing. You're trying to figure out what the right thing to do is, but uh, it's a real leadership quality to say, hey, maybe, maybe that was the wrong approach. Let's shift exactly. it. Exactly. And we're learning that every day, right? Like very, very wrong approach. Another approach that I think I would, I would, um, I would, I would go back and tweak just a little bit is um, when people say they want to run X drive. For example, if a parent said, "I want to drive, I want to have a toy drive, and I want to bring toys to the families that need more toys or more activities," you know, immediately I said, "Yes, that's a great idea. Go for it." But soon enough, we realized a parent can't lead a drive of that magnitude. We have we serve so many children, so many families, and there's so much information that is connected with who the families are, where the families live, what ages their children are, what kind of toys would be appropriate. And so then, you know, because they wanted to do this and I wanted to have, have them feel supported, um, the parent ends up backing out because it became too much work and I ended up taking it over. Mm -hmm. And so now one of the things that I didn't expect to be doing, which is doing an activity slash toy drive, which yes, I think is important, but the amount of work that it requires is definitely pulling me away from, from, from some other supports that I could be perhaps giving right now to our families. So, so this idea of, you know, there are many great ideas and, and being very careful about which is the most supportive idea to follow through with um, because of the enormous amount of work that it takes to organize, you know, a drive and, and figuring out who needs what and what the ages are and what the toys are that are appropriate for those ages. And then m- mobilizing everybody around the drop off and the routes to drop off that makes sense. You know, we yeah, can spend especially so given, much time. given the context of the situation. I mean, there's there's factors at play just with COVID-19 itself that, that make logistics really, really difficult. And it sounds like, I mean, what you're saying is, you know, it, it, it's it's so hard to say no to people who want to help. But exactly, you know, you have to, it has to be a coordinated effort. And you know, I really appreciate that you're just, you know, very, very much saying that you've made some mistakes and you've learned from them. And this is very valuable for others. Yes, absolutely. I think we all have to be super open-minded um, and, and take risks and try those things that may seem hard to do at first. Um, but as we learn as we go, and I think, you know, it, it's really important to keep in mind that we're all doing this for the right reason. We all care. We all want to be right. supportive of one another. You know, no one's trying to cause somebody to work harder um, just because. It's it's really that we all want to be doing the best we can be and 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 providing the most support systems for one another. So I have to keep that in mind as, you know, everyone's coming up with things they, they hope will work and, and we figure out as we go if, if they were good decision or not. Um, sure. But sometimes you don't know until you try it. Yeah. So, I mean, so, and, and that's kind of brings me to my next question. Thinking about lessons learned, where you are now, or we all are now with week five, I feel like where you and I were chatting before I clicked record here and I was talking about how I feel like we're at a bit of a pivot point now. If I'm a teacher, you know, I was a high school teacher for a long time. And I feel like if I'm, if I'm teaching now, I, 
I kind of have chosen the materials that I'm that I'm going to use. Um, I have a bit of a foothold into this whole online learning thing. Maybe um, things are more under control than they were a few weeks ago. And now, like to me, I'm thinking, all right, what is it that I need to prepare for in the next week, month, two months for the next school year? Um, so I'm curious to get your perspective um, on that as a school leader. Um, you know, and you're very much in the weeds here, and I, I understand that, so it's kind of hard to be strategic. But, but what is it that you're preparing for? What's what's next? What does it look like a month from now, or what does it look like? You know, even thinking back, thinking forward to to fall when when we have a either students back in school or varying degrees of back in school. I mean, it's hard to plan for. But what are you thinking there? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. So we've been dealing with. Um, the things that we're faced with day by day by day and, and, and trying to do as much as we can. But now it's time to take a step, like think, you know, big picture where we're going and how we're going to be supportive of our families when we go back, have everything go back to normal. If, if hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later. But one of the biggest things is our, our learning of students, right? How much have they regressed? How can we figure that out? sooner rather than later? How can we staff appropriately for the interventions that kids are going to need immediately? How can we change our schedule to allow for, you know, those interventions to happen, um, as, as often as possible and how the staffing roles and responsibilities may need to shift. So for example, if we have 61 people who are support staff, I think we can mobilize each of us to become interventionists for, for at least the first three or four or five months that we're back. Like I think each of us may need a reading group. Each of us may need to jump in the classroom to, to lend a hand with assessing students to just quickly have all of the data we need to know where kids are in all of the content areas. So there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, we need to be creative and think through if what we need is to know where our children are in their learning, then we need to kind of quickly jump into action and find that data, those data points out at at the very beginning of the school year. We used to, for example, spend three hours on just building a, a, a a classroom culture that was efficient, safe, kind, and, you know, all of that in mind. And I think, well, we can do that. We, we should do that. But at the same time, we may need to have, you know, six or seven adults pulling kids during the day just to get their assessments done um, and, and getting those data points ready to know who, how are we grouping kids? How are we doing the intervent- interventions? Should we be looking at any other um, curriculum that, that we can use to quickly do the like speeding up of, of uh, catching up. Um, th- so there's a, the way in which it's almost like the same practices we know work for children, but almost doing them with much more urgency, much more quickly, jumping right into reteaching, um, it, you know, making every minute count more right. so than ever before. Yeah, that's making every minute count and being flexible with staffing and scheduling uh, um, is all going to be important. And I wonder, like, as we as we sort of um, conclude here, I know you're very busy. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, what what is it that we're going, what are the things that we're going to learn from this whole situation, whether they be instructional strategies or coordinating with families or dispersing technology, whatever the case may be. What are the things that, w- that you think we should keep front of mind as we go back to a sense of normalcy? In other words, like, are there things that we're learning now that we want to hold on to or expand 
um, to make sure that we're maximizing impact on students, whether that be intervention related or just kind of future learning related? Absolutely. I think one of the things that luckily has has put us in a really good place with what we're able to do as a community is having transparency. Transparency about our school priorities, transparency about what, you know, matters most like for us right now or any given moment, transparency about the budget, having a full staff meeting. For example, I held one on Zoom uh, last Friday in which I had to say, "Hey, here's what we're faced with regarding our budget. Let me tell you, this is how much, you know, we were expecting originally for next school year. This is what we may receive. Here are the ways in which we're going to have to make adjustments to our budget. We are all incredibly, you know, valuable members of our community. It is my priority that everybody stays intact in terms of your staff position, in terms of your schedule, in terms of what you expect to get paid. But if that's the priority we have right now, then these are the cuts we need to make, and this is why. And I need everybody to just be okay with this, you know, understand the reasons we're going to be making these choices, cutting a little bit of our field trip funds, cutting a little bit of our student expenses, cutting a little bit of, you know, the extra amenities that we may have had, like, you know, maybe staff parties or, you know, we've made cuts here and there and everywhere. But basically saying, as long as you all trust me, Please believe that here are going to be the priorities I'm going to stick to when we make these budget decisions. And here's where we're going to have to just like tighten our, our buckle our seatbelts, our, our belts a little bit more to be able to make the budget stretch. So right. I, but, but that to me is key, right? Having the, the trust and having the, the honest conversations, having the difficult conversations, even with our families, right? We may have to come out and say, hey, the first three weeks are going to include assessing students. They're going to include, you know, various people working with your child just to make sure we have all the data points we need. We're going to have to find out how you, um, how you plan on supporting your child at home and what does it look like to have additional supports at home to help their learning. But like, it's almost like very clear communication, very clear transparencies about where we are, why we are where we are, and what we need from the entire community to do sure. in support of these priorities. And I think, you know, more so than ever before, this, this is incredibly important so that we can all be united as a community and support one another with these endeavors and these challenges that we're facing. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you laid it out really nicely. It's it's it seems if I were to take three words out of that whole thing, it's it's transparency, trust, and community. I mean, yep. If you have those three elements in place, you're going to be in a good position moving forward. And these these may seem like very high level things. You know, you're not talking about oh, you know, uh, there's a certain online program that we really want to use next year, and that's really great. That's nice, but. Uh, without those pillars in place, it's going to be really hard to do anything like that. So I appreciate you, exactly. you discussing that. And the other thing, like in terms of um, how sort of what's happening now can build those things, there is no time like now, like we're in a sort of a crisis, cha very challenging situation to build up that transparency and that trust and that communication, because those are all essential now more than ever. I mean, I see Mike, I feel like it's particularly my second grader. I see his teacher every day in my living room when he's on a Zoom meeting. I mean, and so I'm at the transparency of what's going on in, in a yes. place kind of isolated in his classroom 
is is it's 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 there and and she is making mistakes and he is making mistakes and we are making mistakes and we are learning from them but that transparency is being built and i can't help but think like maybe i'm an idealist but those things will help us as we move forward and i think we need to while we're putting out the fires dealing with all the situations that we're dealing with now we also have to keep that in the back of our minds and hold on to the things that we're learning and that will help us moving forward Absolutely. And I think that as a school leader, it is so important to listen. It is so important to be vulnerable. It's it's so important to say what I know, what I don't know. I think that the worst thing I could have done here is say, I've got it all figured out. We know, I know exactly what we need to do here. Like really? Because no one does. Right. And you, (laughs) it's funny when (laughs) before I clicked the record button, you were saying that, you know, I don't don't think you'll mind me saying like, Hey, I don't have all the answers. Well, nobody does. And, and I was even hesitant to come on this podcast or to be, I've been interviewed by a few other folks and I'm like, wait, I don't know if I'm the right person to be, you know, interviewed because I am like just trying to figure this out as we go. And I'm not sure I have like the best plan or the model plan or like that I have even figured it all out. And so I think that it's interesting to be asked, you know, what are you doing? Let's try to learn from some of these practices because to me, I'm just like, oh man, I still have so much to learn. I still want to figure out how to do all of these things better. I am still learning every day something new. Um, And I guess maybe that's, maybe that's the secret sauce, right? Like maybe it's being open-minded, being a learner, being okay with making mistakes, talking about those, you know, trusting my community to understand that sometimes I'm going to make the best decisions um, along, and they're going to be there alongside me. And sometimes we need to shift things a little bit to, to make it better. So I yeah. think, again, it's having the trust, the transparency in the community where it's safe. It's safe to try things and, and see how they go. For sure. And for what it's worth, you know, I think I've done maybe 15 or 20 of these in this series. And, you know, I, I think everybody that has come on has been a little bit reticent, like, wait a minute, I don't have all the answers and I've had to chat with them. Uh, but if it weren't for people taking a little bit of a risk and being vulnerable, then we wouldn't have all these great stories. And that's just what we're trying to do is just get get information out there. And we really, really appreciate your perspective, Daniela, and um, any of the resources that that you mentioned um, that you're sort of willing or able to share will uh, we'll share those with folks. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and telling your story. You're doing great work. And I think that you're a model leader. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so happy I was able to speak with you today. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.